I'm Ray Rogers. And I'm Brad Kepler. And you're listening to Fix This, a podcast exploring tech ideas and solutions to some of today's largest challenges. So what do you do when something unexpected happens? This may be something we often think about on a personal level by doing things like carrying a first aid kit in our car or keeping one stowed away in our medicine cabinet, trying to build up a nest egg of savings or even keeping something like a fire extinguisher in your home. It's natural to want to plan for all of the what ifs that life can present or at least have some kind of tools at our disposal that will help us deal with whatever it is that pops up. And guess what? Businesses and organizations and even governments have the opportunity to do the exact same thing by building business resilience into their plans. And this is a good thing for all of us. A resilient business plan means that when emergency strikes, you as an individual can still access the things you need because the organization has a plan in place to handle that emergency. So to learn more, Ray chatted with two of our colleagues at Amazon Web Services. Edgar Heron is a product marketing manager, and Shante Eldridge is an executive government advisor. Edgar, you just released a new ebook, and it's titled A Guide to Building Organizational Resilience, How to Navigate Emergencies and Disruptions to Maintain Business Continuity. COVID-19 is, of course, top of mind, but building organizational resilience is something that organizations, governments, universities around the world should always strive to do, no matter the circumstances. So why is this ebook important, and why now? just set the stage, what I want the audiences to keep in mind is the importance of starting resiliency planning now in order to preempt future disruptions. The COVID-19 pandemic and other emergencies have made it clear that public organizations of all sizes must be prepared to continue operations at all times. And so, you know, we define a resiliency plan as a plan that helps create organizational resiliency and continuity, and it outlines a range of disaster scenarios and steps that organizations will take to return to a regular state. It also helps identify key staff and multiple departments and brings them into the fold so that they can create contingency plans that will help minimize potential harm and negative impacts to the organization and, most importantly, the constituents that they serve. And to build on what Edgar just said, it's so important for governments to plan because when things go down, you don't have time to run around and figure out what policy you're going to implement. You know, who's going to be on first? Who's going to do what? Who's going to make sure that the message gets out? And I think the resiliency plan prepares not just for an emergency, but it also just helps you build a better system so the constituents get the services they need in an emergency or not in an emergency. One of the sections of the ebooks talks about technology and cultural best practices. And that's something that has popped up a lot in our conversations with customers on Fix This, is that decisions can't be made in silos. And from your perspective, what does this mean to have a cultural change that is ripe for implementation? Well, I, I think that's a great question. And it's one of the things that we're really stressing when we are working with our customers. You cannot just implement the technology. Your staff has to understand why you're doing certain things. Culture is part of change. You can't have one without the other. Changing the culture where people understand, one, why they're utilizing cloud, why they're having the resiliency, why it's important to be secure, why it's important to do all the things that they have to do, is key. Because unfortunately in government, we're so busy. You know, everybody's wearing 20 different hats. And without having a good resiliency plan, and you have a situation or emergency, if everybody doesn't have that culture of just jumping in and you know everybody bailing water out the boat, you're going to have a situation where the technology may fail with all good intentions. Yeah, that is 
Pretty spot on. You know, I think there, there are kind of three items that we highlight in the ebook specifically to, to culture and some best practices. And I would just say, when building your resiliency plan, make imperfection acceptable and use the plan as a framework rather than a, a rigid rule that imposes negative consequences on those who are offering to help. Secondly, when building your plan, bring together a network of connections, and this can include cross-functional teams, outside agencies, technology partners, or even vendors. And finally, ensure that each department knows what to do in urgent scenarios and that plan owners have been assigned accordingly. You know, a strong resiliency strategy must put employees at the heart of the plan and involve them early and often. If they have nothing in place and they're like, okay, we're starting from scratch, what do they need to think about when approaching resiliency planning? The five pillars that we identify in the ebook are remote workforce enablement, constituent engagement, systems modernization, real-time analytics, and operational continuity. Now, to your question, I feel like first organizations really should review the framework we provided and take inventory of the technologies that have in place that are capable of dealing with the disruption and which ones might be dated and present potential weak points. You know, certain workloads take longer to deploy. For instance, a cloud contact center might be deployed in under 30 days. While modernizing a mainframe that's supporting, let's say, unemployment claims, as an example, this could take up to a year. So organizations must prioritize their gaps, but they also must understand that projects that are started today may not be ready for months. And I can't emphasize this enough. Organizations must avoid having a single point of failure with an employee that holds a unique skill set or access right. Leaders should encourage and reward employees who receive training in order to establish a culture of growth and trust, as well as contingency planning and key skill sets. No resiliency plan is bulletproof, but we do know that organizations that have a plan in place are drastically improve their time to business when a disruption occurs. Yeah, and be realistic. If you don't have certain infrastructures or you don't have the staff that is trained, maybe starting with real-time analytics isn't where you should start. You know, maybe you need to start with remote workforce enablement. You want to build from strength. And so you also can't boil the ocean. Start small. Start with those quick wins. Make sure that you actually can build a framework that you can build upon. But if you jump in and try to do what maybe your neighboring jurisdiction did or your neighboring state has done, you may be setting yourself up for failure. So again, the the best piece of advice I can give is be realistic and start from a place that you know you can at least have some success. Can organizations start small, address one without addressing the other, or are they all interwoven and do they need to be done all at one time and attacked systematically? I would say that, you know, pillars can't nor should they be done all at once. I feel like this would put stress on too many internal resources, which would be disastrous if a large disruption were to occur while these implementations were in flight. And our guidance would be for an organization to evaluate their current state and then use the framework with the associated workloads and timelines to build a roadmap and then address each gap from shortest timeline to longest. And as Shantae mentioned, the ones that you have are going to have the highest possibility for success first. For organizations serving the public, disasters and emergencies can derail their missions, which may include critical emergency response, public safety, and public health services. So I think it's imperative for these organizations to build their resiliency plan and start from the lens of their constituents and then work backwards to see where their organizational IT gaps could directly impact the audiences they serve. Edgar brought up framework. 
this is just a plan. We've been working with customers already using this framework. And we can imagine during COVID-19, money is a factor. Time is a factor. The resources you have are a factor. You may only start with two. And those two may take you a year or two to even implement. You can't do everything at one time. And some of these build upon others. You can't do real-time analytics if you don't have process and systems modernization. You may not have the infrastructure to even implement some of the other pillars. So again, really look at how are our constituents going to be affected and start there and then build upon what you have. What are some organizations or states or governments that have done this really well? So definitely West Virginia for the Department of Workforce. As you can imagine, during COVID-19, they had a lot of unemployment claims coming in and they were really struggling with being able to keep up. And so when they looked at resiliency, they took a holistic approach. They updated their infrastructure, but they also hired and trained their staff to use the new technology. And they also thought about how this is going to affect the customer. During COVID-19, when people had to apply for unemployment insurance, at the height, they were taking 600,000 calls a day. Only 10% of those needed to actually speak to a live person. After they implemented the technology on AWS Cloud, people were able to find the answers quickly. And they also implemented text messaging. So they were able to meet the customer where they were at. They did it really well, worked across multiple pillars in the framework to improve not just their infrastructure, but again, the customer experience. I think the one I'll touch on is an education customer. So a college named Mount San Jacinto College. Like many educational institutions, MSJC was forced during the onset of COVID to find a means of empowering their staff to work remotely so the faculty and staff could then provide vital services to the students. The college turned to one of our partners and AWS to assess the situation. And the solution really was twofold. So one, after initial consultations, the the partner and AWS team recommended that the customer deploy AppStream as a means to implement desktop as a service. And the other key element was time to market. Uh, So AppStream was deployed in two days and the college was able to train over 300 of their staff members. And most importantly, the performance requirements as well as the governance requirements were also met. What are some of the best practices that come to mind for organizations who are at the very beginning of their journey and who are trying to become more resilient? First, we would encourage folks to take a look at the guidebook that we put out. There is a really comprehensive checklist of considerations that customers should look at. But you know, right from the onset, they should do a business impact analysis or a BIA. Here, an organization is going to use a systematic process to determine, prioritize, and predict the potential effects of an interruption on business operations. You know, information is power. So organizations must evaluate if they have the right technologies and real-time information mechanisms in place to make data-driven decisions and detect patterns with customers uh, during a crisis. Resiliency plans are built at a snapshot in time. Thus, organizations need to revisit their plan frequently to see if changes have occurred that might present a new gap that needs to be addressed. And this is key because, you know, uh, there's research out there that indicates that only about a third of organizations uh, frequently update their operating model. And finally, you know, cloud technologies can offer a lot of value from elastic services that can help address spikes in demand, 
faster access to new technologies and pay-as-you-go models that will allow organizations to shift funds to investments in resiliency planning. But organizations must have the skills necessary to leverage these cloud technologies. As organizations build their resiliency plan, they should incorporate cloud technologies where applicable, but they also need to ensure that their teams have the necessary skills to implement and utilize these services during an emergency. Prior to coming to AWS, I was the Deputy Chief of Operations for the City of Baltimore, and I've also have over 20 years at other state local governments. Being on the other side, sometimes when in government, we needed to do everything at once and not really having an agile process to be able to implement whatever the project we were working on. And so you can imagine when someone's in the throes of an emergency, you know, they're trying to do everything and, and that's, you know, admirable. But when you're trying to look at resiliency, I would say take it in bite-sized chunks. You know, look at your modules. There may be things that you can do now that are going to be building the framework for something later. You know, we, we often term, use the term quick wins. You know, is there something now that you can do just to get the pressure off, just to get something out the door, just so you can get the customers the information they need? And so what I would say, when looking at implementing a resilient plan or resiliency, look at short term as well as long term. And don't feel like you have to do everything all at one time or that you have to have all of the answers before you're able to deploy something out the door. You know, in Amazon Web Services, we also have a philosophy. If you have 70%, then it's probably a go, you know, because if you're waiting for the other 30%, you may be waiting too long. And so that's one of the pieces of advice is, look, how much information do we really need? And can we have some bias for action to get things out of the door? And then we can actually start backfilling and building a more resilient system as we go down the road. Now that we have a really firm understanding of what business resiliency is, why does it matter for organizations? Why should they care? Well, I, I think it's twofold. One, it is never a good time to figure out how you're going to address the emergency while you're in an emergency. You know, and I'll give you a very quick example that I was working with a customer prior to coming to AWS that had done a very amazing resilient plan and they were doing some testing and they were going through the process of one person was supposed to make sure that the business was locked, right? To make sure that the business was secure in case they weren't coming back for a couple of days. When they ran through the test, they realized the key to open the door was locked in the building and they forgot to figure out who was actually going to grab the extra key. And so that's a situation where just think if they had run through their plan or didn't have a plan and in throws an emergency, tried to do something, they may have been actually creating a worse situation. So I think the resiliency plan is one, making sure that you're prepared for the emergency. And two, resilient plans aren't just for the emergency. There are things that you can do along the way to build resiliency that are just making good sense. And they're just making a good business case and improving customer outcomes and customer experience and customer service. Plans that you put in place today may not be ready for quite some time. So, you know, I personally lived through, um, you know, Hurricane Harvey. And even before that, we had a serious, uh, what we call the tax day flood in Houston. And a lot of uh, municipalities and, and organizations didn't have a resiliency plan then. And and then Harvey hit. So, you know, uh, the situation was 
orders of magnitude worse. And so not only did they have a plan for a current problem, they didn't have a plan for a future problem. And then, you know, a lot of the plans that were put in place uh, after Hurricane Harvey in 2017 are just now coming to fruition, right? In 2020, and we've had three hurricane seasons since then. So, you know, as Shantae mentioned, and I just, I can't make, you know, emphasize this enough, start planning today for problems that you may experience, uh, you know, in the near future. And how can people learn more? In the podcast description, we have a link to that landing page. So, you know, be sure to, to go and look at the information that we have. The guidebook will provide you the frameworks as well as the checklist that we mentioned. And the webinars are provided by four key partners. And they're going to do a double click on the actual implementation of some of the core technologies we speak about. Leveraging the latest cloud technology helps governments and organizations build a resilient business model to navigate emergencies and disruptions to deliver on their missions, even in trying unforeseen circumstances. Long-term strategy is not something that can be achieved overnight. But what happens when an organization already has some of the pieces in place to quickly adjust? And that is exactly what happened for Juniper, a nonprofit providing home and community support services for the elderly across Western Australia. When the COVID-19 pandemic began, Juniper turned to the cloud to adjust to some new challenges. Juniper's cloud-first digital transformation was critical during this period. Ray spoke with Dan Beeston, ICT manager at Juniper, to chat about the nonprofit's success at keeping the business running smoothly and connecting residents with family and clinicians, even in a time of social distancing. Ken, you begin with a quick introduction to Juniper. Tell us some quick facts about the nonprofit, what's its mission, and what your role is there. So I'm Dan, IT manager. I started at Juniper 18 months ago now on the digital transformation. We have 26 residential aged care facilities here in Western Australia where people come into our home and, and we provide a range of services to support them. We supplement their offering with home care, and then we also have retirement villages. We are non-for-profit. Our mission is around providing quality of care. The organizational strategy is about moving to operational costs so we can invest that capital investment back into, into care, whether that's better quality beds, renovating facilities, or just tools to enhance the quality of care. You mentioned that Juniper was undergoing the very beginning stages of a digital transformation. Can you tell me more about that? I guess it started 12 months before I started with a new CEO, and they did a organizational strategy. There was two parts. One was uh, moving to an MSP model that provided the business as usual services. And the second key part was that operational expense. So moving to infrastructure as a service, we've just completed that initial horizon. So we've fully transitioned to an MSP and we've fully transitioned to AWS. During that 18 months, we've also transitioned the team to have roles that are all focused on what's unique to Juniper. So we can start adding a lot more value add, helping staff members to be more efficient, which frees them up to provide that quality of care. How is using the cloud allowing your employees to really add that benefit and not just worrying about infrastructure and things like that? Part of the move into the cloud or within AWS was so they can connect to the services in the same manner that corporate office do. We've now given each employee a tablet so they can be at the residence side, whether that's in the bedroom, whether that's in the living space, whether that's in the garden, 
wherever they are, they can now uh, access those systems at the point of care. So what's important is a big piece of the aged care standards is around choice. So simply having a lady who prefers to wear pants rather than a dress, they now can have a look at the device, have a look what dress references are, what she likes to do, what food does resident like to eat. So they can now access that information and really provide that choice. Yeah. So then the patient is really unique and the things that are unique to that patient are accurately conveyed to the caretaker right there. I mean, we want our staff members to be present, be at the site and be with the residents. So now when I go around the facilities, rather than seeing a queue at the nursing station to do data entry, they're sitting watching TV in the lounge on their device, doing their work, uh, making their notes, uh, accessing their, their procedures or looking up things uh, amongst the residents, which is important. They are required to enter progress notes. And what I see in the industry is typically those wait until the end of the shift. By giving them the tablets and getting them to enter those progress notes at the point that they happen, it's driving better quality data. So with that data, we can then start analyzing keywords. We can start to see better trends. But then, of course, 2020 came and COVID-19 turned into a pandemic. How did Juniper react at the onset of the pandemic? And what were some of the challenges that were specific to your team? Uh, to your point, actually, all this, all this has been done in the last 18 months. So we were in a position where we enabled the capability in the AWS estate. So we had all the comm, networking, security, all the VPN. Effectively, what that enabled us to do is we can be flexible, we can scale up as we require. So as you know, part of the pandemic was working from home. So very simply, we enabled Amazon Workspaces in over two weeks. It allowed us to just scale it up, talk to 200 staff, and allowed us to continue to focus on business. We didn't have particularly very good video conferencing. We had telephony. We relied on voice a lot. So we, we rolled out Amazon Chime. The resident didn't have to go to the medical center. The medical staff or doctors didn't have to go into the facility. So really reducing that transmission by simply enabling video conferencing, which was part of the AWS estate and was relatively easy. What can other people learn from your story and what does business resiliency mean for you? A key message for me is educate the staff and the stakeholders. So my workforce were educated in the cloud. So when we had people coming to us and all these business requirements, we were there, we weren't answering hundreds of calls from the front line. We had the internal team to really just focus on development. And during these times of crisis, I don't make rash decisions. If it needs three hours for me to think about it or sleep on it overnight, I, I will do that. And during COVID, I was having, a, I was making a brew in, in the kitchenette and someone came to me and was like, what are you doing? And I was like, making a cup of tea. And oh, this, this is happening, this is happening. And I was like, that's fine. I'm not, not working because I'm making a cup of tea, but I'm taking myself out of the situation. I'm thinking about what the next steps. So I can go back to the business and, and communicate it. Business resilience for the average everyday person really translates to being able to continue to access the services you need, no matter the circumstances, because the companies, organizations, and government offices you depend on are able to handle emergencies and disruptions. To hear more about Juniper's digital transformation, register today for the AWS Public Sector Summit Online, a virtual event taking place on October 20th, 2020. 
During the virtual event, you can hear from AWS subject matter experts, dive deep with breakout sessions, and attend our virtual keynote featuring customers from around the world. To learn more, register today at aws.amazon.com slash events slash summits slash online slash public dash sector. And after you register for a public sector summit online, remember to gear up for the event. You can read the newly released ebook, a guide to building organizational resilience, how to navigate emergencies and disruptions to maintain business continuity by visiting aws.amazon.com slash government dash education slash building dash resilience. Thank you to our guests, Edgar, Shante, and Dan. And thank you for tuning in. If you liked today's episode, please help us spread the word by rating the show, sharing with your friends and family, and subscribing for more stories. We'll catch you on the next one.